0: At a time when there are fewer things more important than access to clean water, water utilities are prioritizing water quality by ensuring their treatment solutions are reliable and efficient. Filtration is a critical part of the water treatment process, especially when it comes to potable water. On this episode of Through the Water Cycle on Xylem's Solving Water podcast, Matt Shoemaker, Xylem's filtration expert, sits down with us to discuss where filtration fits in the treatment process how the technology has evolved over time, and recent trends in the industry. Enjoy the show. Welcome to today's episode of Through the Water Cycle. I'm Amanda Holloway here with Goda and we're speaking with Matt Shoemaker, Regional Sales Manager for Xylem Treatment, about water treatment and specifically how filtration fits into the treatment process. Matt, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Maybe you can start just by telling our listeners about what you do for Xylem.
1: Okay, sure. Yeah, I am a regional manager for One Xylem Treatment, so I cover the western region and um, represent products of Leopold, Wetico, and Sanitaire, so covering both water and wastewater for filtration, disinfection, and aeration.
0: And as I understand it, there are a lot of steps in the water treatment process, right? I mean, I think each utility can sort of design their own treatment train based on their needs, especially when it comes to drinking water. But we're here today to talk mostly about filtration. So can you tell us how filtration fits into the treatment process um, and how it's different from maybe some of the other types of treatment available?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. There are a lot of different processes that can be used, especially in a, in a drinking water plant. And it really does depend on the type of water you're treating, if it's, you know, laden with algae or, you know, whatever the, the, the constituents of the water, there's different ways to treat to treat it up front, um, you know, through flocculation, through clarification. But when you get to the final steps in the process, which is filtration, really a lot of that it comes down to using uh, the same type of components in the filter system. So uh, regardless of what you're doing up front, really every water treatment plant or the majority of water treatment plants have some sort of filtration step at the end. And it's really the final step before the water goes into a clear well or where they're adding chlorine uh, and sending it out into distribution.
0: So in terms of drinking water treatment, what are some of the current challenges facing the water utilities industry?
1: today Sure, yeah, there, there are a lot of challenges and it's, it seems to be always changing. That's one uh, very interesting thing about our industry is that uh, we've been around for a long time but things are, are never really that stagnant. And uh, there's certainly always challenges to meet the effluent limits and the regulatory standards uh, you know of the day for all drinking water treatment systems. And more importantly, recently, there's been some challenges in organics reduction. So there's been some new rules put in play, disinfection byproduct reduction or disinfection byproduct rule, where utilities are now measuring THMs, trihalomethanes, and HAAs, haloacidic acids, out in the distribution system and, you know, in some points very far out in the distribution system. So this is something that has really affected uh, our industry in filtration And one of the ways, well, these DBPs, disinfection byproducts, are created when you have organic matter in the water and then it reacts with something like chlorine. So um, that has really been a challenge that a lot of utilities have faced, um, you know, failing DBP tests initially. And, um, you know, they've, they've made adjustments. A lot of them have actually moved their chlorination point way back in the system. So they may have entered, they may have had chlorine dosed up front. Uh, filtration or even in the clarification stage, um, and a lot of those utilities are moving that chlorination point to post-filtration uh, just to limit the amount of time the organics are in contact with chlorine in the water. And then there's there's things that are occurring in filtration because of this. A lot of systems are going biologically active where you're growing a biology in the media, and that can help remove organics in the water And uh, in doing so, you have less organics to react with the chlorine, and you are creating less disinfection byproducts. So that's been, I would say, something that is ongoing in our industry and something that has been, you know, affecting filtration now for the past uh, I would say you know 10 plus years there's always drivers you're talking about current challenges there's always drivers for increasing process efficiency and saving water you know through equipment advances and just through product advances so every gallon of water that a utility can save in the backwash process is another gallon of water that they can sell to their customers so you know increasing efficiency really in all systems uh, throughout a treatment plant but especially the filter is something that you know, most utilities are looking at and taking a hard look at. I would say ease of operation is another challenge. You know, people are looking for systems that they can, you know, operate fairly easily with low maintenance. Uh, A lot of places are looking to operate things remotely, you know, with sometimes reduced staff. So, I think these are a lot of challenges that we're looking at and
2: facing today and, you know, Xylem is helping with. So I think Amanda wants to ha- get back to a specific project, maybe at one point here to highlight some of that. I mean, you talked about a lot of challenges right there. Is there anything specific to the moment, um, COVID-19 I know has had a big impact on water utilities. Is there anything specific that you're seeing impacting your day to day or the customers that you talk to, or is it kind of just a broader impact on water utilities in general?
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, I I, certainly COVID has affected everything. And uh, as far as utilities are concerned, we still see a lot of projects moving forward. We did see some delays in projects, um, you know, some bid delays, and there was some construction delays and some construction shutdowns. But, you know, in different parts of the country, but in general, you know, a lot of these projects are continuing to move forward. And you you hear a lot about aging infrastructure and you know some of the repair work that's being done at these treatment plants and you know regardless of the pandemic the infrastructure needs to be replaced you know in some cases pretty direly so as far as affecting our industry it certainly has at some points but you know for the most part a lot of are continuing to move forward they're continuing with their projects they're continuing with their upgrades that they need to. Um, I think in some places, you know, there may be some revenues that are down just from some industry shutting down for short periods of time and whatnot. But so far, it has not been, you know, a drastic effect to business. Uh, We have still seen a lot of projects moving forward.
0: Which is really great news. I mean, you know, we've had several discussions with various um, folks from Xylem here on through the water cycle and talking about impacts that COVID has brought to the water utilities industry. And one of the things that we've gone back to a little bit is this remote monitoring and controls, remote operation. You know, the utilities are potentially dealing with reduced staff, as you mentioned. And then, you know, how does that sort of situation where there's less staff potentially mirror that of the fact that there's this overall aging workforce? And so, you know, are you seeing that there are projects out there that have this remote monitoring and operation in place? Or how are they automating their operations to help manage this fact that, you know, they're dealing with less staff?
1: Right. No, you're right. That is, a, that is definitely something that, you know, is an issue with the water industry. We definitely have an aging workforce out there in the, in the treatment plants. And a lot of the a lot of the utilities are looking to you know do whatever they can to reduce maintenance in their systems and in doing so they can work uh, a little bit more remotely and not have you know quite the staff that maybe they've had in the past and that that's truly one of the one of the great things about gravity filtration is it is a very simplistic process once it's once it's set up and operating you know typically you're getting 72 96 you know, definitely greater than 24-hour filter runs. So, each filter is backwashing in most most instances just a few times a week. And when it's in filtration mode, it's, it's a pretty simplistic system. So, we do have plants uh, that we have done work at where, you know, they're very, very large utilities. There's some plants out in out in the Las Vegas area where they have very reduced staff to operate. They do a lot of remote monitoring and there's just not a, a whole lot of maintenance when you're talking about a gravity filtration system, uh, at least not regular maintenance. So um, I think that's one of the definite pluses to the type of technology that we offer. And I think that you know we will see more and more once the capabilities are out there in their control systems to remotely monitor and you know maybe even remotely backwash these filters the plants can do so you do have a lot of older infrastructure out there with older control systems and you know in order to do some of this remote monitoring you you really need an upgraded control system so that's something that some of the utilities are struggling with they have outdated controls so it's hard to get to the point where you're doing things remote if your systems you know, pretty pretty much outdated.
2: So I wonder, could we just get a quick overview of gravity filtration and or the s- solutions that Xylem might offer around gravity filtration?
1: Sure. Yeah. For for drinking water purposes, you know, the general layout of a treatment plan is you bring bring raw water in from a, you know, a reservoir or lake or river or groundwater source, and you add a, uh, a coal to that water and it neutralizes the particles that are that are in that water and typically you run it through a series of flocculation where the particles combine together and form larger particles and they often go into a settling basin or a system with uh, plate settlers or if it's a light organic matter, it might go into a dissolved air flotation system as part of clarification. And then once those larger particles are either settled or floated out, it would go on to the gravity filter, So it really enters into the top of the filter. And then through gravity, it flows down through a a filter media. So that could be um, really a lot of different types of media. We use uh, silica sand, half millimeter sand and anthracite, which is typically around one millimeter. And the depths of that can vary, but usually it's 12 inches of sand, 18 to 24 inches of anthracite. There's also a lot of systems that are now utilizing granular activated carbon or GAC due to the um, absorbent properties of GAC. So, And there's other systems out there on groundwater that may use like a manganese green sand to uh, absorb the manganese in the water. So the filter media can, can vary, but the process is still really the same. The water comes into the top of the filter. It flows down through the media Uh, The media collects particles um, through mechanical collection, so it may lodge between the particles of the media. There's also an absorption that occurs where the particles actually stick to the media. And then you have biological processes that can occur where you would grow biology in that media within the the pore spaces or the spaces of that media, and that biology can actually remove things such as organics. So once the, the water flows down through the filter and enters an underdrain system, and then it passes through the underdrain system and out into the clear well. And really the, you know, the underdrain is really the heart of the system. And it really shows, you know, the benefit of the underdrain really shows in the backwash process. You want to have the most efficient backwash process that you can to use the least amount of water. So once the, you know, the particulate matter builds up, in the filter media and you reach a certain head loss level you would then put that filter into backwash mode and most of the newer systems will combine an an air scour that breaks up the dirt in the media and then you would do a combined air water wash that would do something called collapse pulse which really breaks up the dirt within that media and the last phase would be a high rate wash where you expand the media and then wash all of the solids out and then you go back down to a low rate and you put it back into filtration mode. So, you know, the the under drain itself you want to have equal distribution throughout the filter and the better the combined air water wash is, the more efficient the um the backwash is and the the low the least amount of high rate water that you need. So you can do a abbreviated high rate wash and that's really where you're wasting the majority of the water in the system. Uh, sure. So That's just a brief overview.
2: No, that's cool. I mean, there's a lot of like technology that obviously goes into when the wash starts and things like that. But it's interesting to me that it's like it's gravity. And it's naturally occurring um, ingredients in a lot of cases, like sand and things like that. It's pretty, it's interesting to me that a lot of it is very, it's in a way simple like that.
1: Yeah, it's very simplistic. And I mean, a backwash is usually triggered. There's there's three things that can, can trigger a backwash. Either you know, the filter is dirty enough that the available head has increased, so you have a reduced uh, driving head, that can trigger a backwash. Um, if the turbidity in the effluent would go up above a certain level, that could trigger a backwash. And then a lot of plants will actually just uh, initiate a backwash on time. They may say, look, we we backwash these filters every 72 hours or every 96 hours or every 48 hours. So um, those are the three things that would trigger a backwash.
0: To hear more discussions about challenges and trends in today's water industry, tune into our other shows on Solving Water, a Xylem podcast, including In the Field with Gould's Water Technology about issues impacting the residential and agricultural markets, Through the Water Cycle, a series reviewing every aspect of the water utilities segment from treatment to monitoring and reuse. And the Bell and Gossip podcast focused on HVAC and plumbing systems for commercial building services. Stream, download, and subscribe for these episodes and more. We were talking before this call, and gravity filtration is not the only technology available in terms of filtration processes. I think that you mentioned that there like membranes were also is also a possibility and there was maybe even a trend in that direction. Can you just talk us through, you know, what that looks like compared with gravity filtration and, and kind of why we're still sort of sticking with gravity filtration for the majority of treatment processes?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean there there are certainly a lot of membrane companies out there and membrane filtration is certainly um, prominent in the industry. I would say, you know, 15 to 20 years ago uh, when membranes really were coming on, there were a lot of plants uh, moving in that direction. And some some people may have thought that's the direction the industry uh, may be going. But it seems like over time, you know, things, in my opinion, have kind of leaned back towards towards gravity filtration for for a lot of systems. And, And part of it is just due to the complexity. Um, You look at a membrane system, and these are typically made up of uh, fibers where, you know, you would bring water either outside to the inside of the fiber, or some systems go inside to outside of the fiber um, and collect the dirt within that membrane fiber. And um, there's uh, a lot of backwashing that occurs. We're talking about backwashing gravity filters every 24, 48, 72 hours. A lot of membrane systems will backwash every half hour. Um, So it's a lot of Turing valves and um, just a lot of, uh, it's just a a more complicated process. There's also a lot of chemical cleaning that goes on with membranes, um, citric acid cleaning that can occur, you know, every 20 to 30 days, um, depending on the system. So you have the complexities that are um, associated with that. And then uh, membrane replacement too. I think a lot of membrane companies will say 10 years life and, um, you know, I'm sure there's systems that have been out there that they get into five years, six years and they're looking at replacement costs for membranes, um, maybe a little bit prematurely, um, or at least they weren't expecting to have to do it in that time frame. So I think, you know, initially when membranes came out, it was kind of all the buzz, but a lot of the systems now are looking at the simplicity of gravity filtration. There's still gravity filtration meets uh, the water, co- water quality requirements and exceeds the water quality requirements. And, um, you know, the things that we've talked about, about biologically active filtration and things like that, where you're, you know, getting increased organics removal, you know, that's all great benefits to gravity filters.
0: Great. And as I understand it, we, we being Xylem, pretty much play specifically in the gravity filtration process piece of it, correct? Uh, that's where our technology and our solutions are going?
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and particularly through the Leopold brand, we have um, a series of underdrained products and media retainers. Um, we've been in business since, Leopold's been in business since 1924 and has over, you know, 8,700 installations worldwide. So, you know, quite the install base, we've been around uh coming up on a hundred years here pretty soon. And um just have great products, really kind of revolutionary products that we've um developed over the last 10 10 years or so. And um, you know, we've we've always strived to be the most efficient uh system out there and uh we've built over the last 10 years to make our systems really the strongest on the market. So we provide you know, we provide basically everything inside the filter box. So you're looking at the filter under drain, the air header pipe, the filter media. We have our own dry processing plant for anthracite out in Watsontown, Pennsylvania. Uh, we make our own wash troughs, and then we also tie in control systems. We you know we make our own control panels, and. Um, we have a lot of systems out there where we've provided complete control systems. So who better to show you how to operate your filters and control your filters than um, than Leopold, the, the filter manufacturer. So there's a lot of systems out there where we will provide not only everything inside the filter box, but also the control valves, instruments, control panels associated with the filtration process.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, wondering if you could expand a little bit on specifically how xylem solutions the leopold technology that you're just speaking of um, how that is helping uh, water utilities address some of these challenges we talked about a little bit earlier in the discussion
1: yeah certainly i mean we have systems out there that are um you know a lot of systems out there aged aging systems are hydraulic only backwash so they will run a uh like a low rate water rate and then move to a uh, high rate water and uh, just, just waste a lot of water. You might have to run a high-rate backwash for you know, 10 to 15 minutes at 20 gallons per minute per square foot, so you're using a lot of water when you're running a hydraulic-only backwash. So we've worked with a lot of systems to upgrade and move to an air-water wash, and in doing so, you can uh, do the concurrent air-water wash where you have the collapse pulse clean and you're not wasting any water, and then when you move to your high-rate wash, you may run for... You know, five to seven minutes instead of uh, 10 to 15 minutes. So you can cut your water usage down on the backwash, and, and a lot of plants will save up to 50% backwash water consumption uh, by moving to air scour. Um, we have a series of uh, media retainers that we launched back in 2012 uh, called the IMS 200 and the IMS 1000. And these are precision slotted media retainers. So it eliminates uh, the need for a gravel layer. in in a filter system and it can actually reduce the head space uh, in the filter. So instead of having, you know, 12 inches of gravel in a filter, you have a media retainer that's maybe one inch tall and, um, you know, you're saving 14 inches of head space in the filter, which will lead to to longer filter runs and adds that additional driving head. Uh, The other great benefit of the precision slotted style media retainers is they're extremely strong. Um, the hold-down strength is over 15 PSI onto the under drain, and um, as we mentioned earlier in the interview, we talked a lot about biologically active filtration, and that is certainly a trend in our industry, and um, these media retainers are, are suited for that type of application. You have a direct flow path of air and water through that slot, and um, you're not going to have Biological buildup in the slot that could cause, cause head loss issues and lead to a filtration problems. So, we have a lot of systems out there that have moved to the, the precision slotted or to the IMS 200 media retainer um, for sand and anthracite and also GAC where they are in a biological atmosphere. And, you know, we monitor the head loss ac- across the, the entire filter system, but we've had just a ton of success with these new media retaining products and we've actually gone into some other systems that we've sold back in the eighties and nineties with our old media retainer, the IMS cap, and we've replaced, placed it over time as they moved it to a biological system uh, with the IMS 200. Um, so we also have our, our underdrain products, just a just a quick note on those. And we have uh, the four different types of under drains that we offer, but the newer products are type XA under drain that has a 30 PSI hold down. It's a grouted product with a grout pocket. And then we also have a, uh, a bolt down system that we recently launched called the type 360. It's a, it's made of a high strength polymer and it's a, uh, it's a bolt down under drain that does not need grout to install.
0: I wanted to circle back to the, you're talking about the biological system um, and how that's becoming more of a trend, you're seeing a trend that way. You know, a lot of these um, under drains and media retainer uh, solutions that we have are really well suited for this. When would a water utility know that biological is the way that they'd want to go in their filtration process? Can you give us an example of a recent installation or where you're seeing this crop up more uh, around the country?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, a lot of systems in general, you know, we talked a little bit about the disinfection byproduct rule and, um, you know, really the need to remove organics, uh, in the system before you're adding disinfection or disinfectants like chlorine. So a lot of the systems that are moving towards biologically active filtration are systems where they have, uh, maybe high organics, uh, and high total organic carbon. Uh, prior to filtration, that they want to knock down before they add um, before they add their chlorine. So uh, there's a couple different ways to do that. I mean, GAC is certainly effective in, in absorbing uh, total organic carbon. Um, but one of the things about GAC is if you just strictly use it as, as an absorber, um, you know, it it becomes spent in about you know in most instances about a year. So, the replacement of granular activated carbon can be very expensive uh, if you're going in and replacing it each year. So that's one of the really one of the major benefits of biologically active filtration is that you're you're not, even if you would use GAC as the media, you're not using its absorbent properties necessarily to remove the organics when the system's biological. you're You're relying on the bi- biology, that is growing within the pores of the GAC and the void spaces in the media to remove the organics. Um, I mean, biological process can also remove some inorganics like manganese and iron, but the biggest driver that we see is on the organic side and removing TOC through a filter system.
0: And that's pretty evenly distributed around the country in terms of where you're seeing utilities adopt this or or are there certain hotbeds?
1: no your your first comment is pretty much correct. It, it's not that we just see it in one area or several areas around the country. You really see it all over and um, you know even plants up in Canada. so it um, it's a process that is being utilized more and more uh, throughout throughout North America. okay. There are systems out there that they may not be running the, the filters biological right now, but we see a lot of bids and a lot of projects that we're working on that may be um, moving to a biological process in the future. And um, you know, one of the things that aids the growth of biology is the addition of ozone um, prior to filtration. So you'll also see systems that may be adding ozone in the future, and um, you know, they they would be gearing up for biologically active filtration once the ozone system was installed
0: it's it's interesting i mean we've spent the bulk of the conversation today talking through um filtration for drinking water which is i know sort of our sweet spot from a xylem standpoint um but there is you know we haven't really touched on this yet there is filtration in wastewater and wastewater treatment processes I just wonder if we could just maybe touch on that a little bit before we before we wrap up our conversation for, for the day.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right, Leopold. The majority of our uh, the majority of the business, I would say, is drinking water, but we also do sell uh, you know a lot of wastewater systems as well. And you know, wastewater filtration, while the process is is very similar, uh, really, what you're targeting for removal. Um, can be different. So most wastewater systems will have uh, total suspended solids that they have to remove below a certain level before they can discharge the water into into a stream or estuary. And, you know, for years and years, the TSS limits maybe were to the point where a plant might not need a gravity filter. So not every wastewater plant out there has uh, filtration at the end but more and more, it's becoming the norm. And a lot of that is driven also by regulations. So, you know, we're, we're a drinking water system. You're looking at turbidity and you're looking at total organic carbon, um, you know, and maybe iron and manganese and things like that that need to be removed. In a wastewater system, you're looking at, uh, you know, some different, uh, some different regulations in different constituents in the water. Um, you know, there's a lot of systems out there where they have a nitrate limit where they need to denitrify. And um, that can certainly be done in a wastewater filter. We have a process called a where we've installed a lot, of, a lot of systems around the Chesapeake Bay area where we add a carbon source and grow a biology and remove, um, remove nitrate in the wastewater down to levels less than one milligram per liter nitrate, uh, less than three milligrams per liter total nitrogen. So if nitrate is a driver, you know, that's a, a gravity filtration system is a great process to remove nitrate. Phosphorus is another parameter that needs to be removed in a lot of wastewater systems. So there's a lot of regulations going on right now to remove phosphorus or to limit phosphorus in, in the effluent. And, um, you know, we have gravity filtration systems that can knock phosphorus down in a wastewater process as well. So, um, you know, as I said, if you're looking at If you're looking at wastewater, a lot of times you're looking at solids, phosphorus, nitrogen um, that can be removed and um, wastewater treatment for gravity filtration.
0: Well, I I just wanna say, I really appreciate you taking the time to walk us through all of the the technology behind filtration and um, spending so much time with us today. So thank you very much.
1: All right, thank you, Griffin. Thanks, Amanda.
0: The Solving Water Podcast is produced and distributed by Xylem, a global water technology company of more than 16,000 employees committed to solving critical water and infrastructure challenges worldwide. Stream, download, and subscribe.